0: Well, as you're finding your seat, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ezra. We're going to be looking at Ezra 5 and 6 this morning as we continue our study of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in this series about what it looks like as God moves to rebuild his kingdom. Now, from a human perspective, the task that was given to Martin Luther was impossible. Martin Luther was a German monk in the 16th century, and he had no real political, financial or much religious power. However, he was called by God to bring about a reformation of the church. Every power imaginable stood against him in this task. Of course, there was the power of the institutional church that stood against his reforming aims. The structures of the church had been in place for hundreds of years. What right did this man have to question their authority? There was also political opposition to his work. To defy the church was to upset the political status quo, and when the status quo is disrupted, leadership comes under pressure to bring about change, and leadership does not like to change. And then, there was social pressure. People would rather things stay the same. Don't rock the boat. Don't cause trouble because it will disrupt all of society. Now, at first, Luther, because he did not have much power, was dismissed by those who did hold power in his day. It is said that the pope at the time, Pope Leo X, remarked that Luther was a drunken German who will change his mind once he sobers up a little bit. And yet, the reform movement continued to gain momentum. And so, Luther was brought under the imperial ban of the court. Emperor Charles V demanded that Luther recant his views. And when he refused... He was placed under this imperial ban, which meant that Luther could be killed with impunity throughout the empire. And within a few years of the Reformation work beginning, there was an uprising called the Peasants War, in which people used Luther's work to justify a revolt. And in the midst of the revolt, thousands were killed. You see, it was an impossible task to bring about true and godly change. An impossible task to lead the rebuilding of the church after so many centuries of moral decay and political entanglement. How could the true gospel ever take root when all the powers of man stood against it? And I believe that many of us feel the same way about the state of the church today. There's corruption within the church that is causing it to dwindle. There's political pressure against biblical morality. And there is social decay towards the most ungodly of lifestyles that is being embraced. And that which is evil is being called good. And that which is good is being called evil. A generation ago, the church and Christianity in general was seen in a favorable light. But today... The broader culture views us as backward, judgmental, and hypocritical. Over the past two and a half years, the weakness of the church has been exposed. It hasn't been caused, it's been exposed as congregations have dwindled under the pressure of COVID restrictions, social upheavals, and political disagreements. And with all of these impediments, The desire to see the church flourish seems impossible. To rebuild the church in America seems an impossible task today. In our passage for this morning, the people of God come to a similar situation. As you remember from our earlier studies of Ezra, the people of God had been exiled from their homeland in Israel. They were taken to live in Babylon. And in the midst of this exile, the temple of God was completely destroyed, razed to the ground. However, God in his grace returned his people to their land after a generation of exile. And he called his people to rebuild the temple that they might worship him according to his word. But last week we saw how this task came under opposition how the political and social powers did not want the Jews to rebuild their place of worship. It was a disruption and a threat to those who opposed the Jewish people and their God. You see, God's people didn't have the power, they didn't have the resources, and they even didn't have the will to rebuild the temple in the face of opposition. But what we will see in our text is that despite all the opposition from the world, the work of God prospers nonetheless. For God, by His Word, by His providence, and for His glory, will prosper an impossible task. So here now, the word of the Lord, Ezra chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 2, and then down to Ezra 6, beginning in verse 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel. And Jeshua, the son of Josadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now, verse 13 of chapter 6. Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatenai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar, Bozanii, And their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by the decree of God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Guide us, we pray, O God, by Your Word and by Your Spirit, so that in Your light, O Lord, we may see light, and in Your truth that we might find freedom, and in Your will discover Your peace. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It had been 16 years since the foundation of the temple had been laid. As you remember, for Ezra chapter 3, the first generation of exiles that returned to Jerusalem straight away rebuilt the altar and laid the foundation of the temple. But in Ezra chapter 4, we saw that when opposition arose, they put off the work of the Lord. You see, they were trying to do what God had called them to do, but then there was outside pressure that came and they were discouraged and they put off doing what God had called them to do. Look at the end of chapter four, verse 24. You can look just right up there. It says once this opposition came, verse 24, then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. And it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The people of God meet opposition and they stop the work that God had called them towards. So what jumpstarts this work after 16 years of neglect? What makes it so that the people of God come back to the task of rebuilding the temple? Well, again, verse 1, we look there. It says, now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who is over them. Then Zerubbabel and Jeshua arose and began to rebuild the house of God. This is how the work of God prospers in this world of opposition. When people obey His word. The work had ceased because they were fearful of the political power of those around them. But God sent to them his word through his prophets. Haggai proclaimed God's word and asked the people to consider, do you think that it is okay that you live in these beautiful homes while the house of God lies in ruins? Zechariah encouraged the people with the word of the Lord, declaring that the Lord had returned his people and that he would prosper the building of the temple and all of Jerusalem if they would just put themselves to the task of it. This is how the kingdom of God is strengthened and prospers. As the word of God goes forth in power and his people obey. This is what happens at the beginning of the temple being rebuilt in Ezra 5. The word of the Lord is given through his prophets and the people obey. And again in chapter 6, when the temple is being finished, we read in verse 14 of chapter 6. You can see there it says... And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. And they finished their building by decree of the God of Israel. From start to finish, it is the word of God that causes His purposes to go forward. For the Lord tells us, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which purpose I have sent it forth. It will succeed in the thing which I sent it out to accomplish. If we would see the prospering of God's kingdom in our generation in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, in our surrounding world, we must look to the word of God and faith and trust what God has proclaimed he will accomplish. It was by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made. It was by his word that all of creation came into being. It was by his word that Abraham was given an heir. It was by His Word that His people were saved from slavery in Egypt. It was by the power of His Word that the house of David was established as a kingdom that would never come to an end. And it was by His Word that Israel returned from exile. And even here we read that it was by His Word that His temple was rebuilt. Martin Luther, reflecting on the work of the Reformation, commented, that the power and success of the Reformation did not come from his resources, but rather from the Word of God. He wrote these words. He says, The Word created heaven and earth and all things. The Word must do this thing, and not we poor sinners. In short, I will preach it, teach it, and write it. I opposed indulgences and in all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, the Word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such loss upon it. Here is the payload. I did nothing. The Word did everything. The task that God has given to His people is impossible with man. For we too have been called upon to rebuild the temple of God in our generation. We have been called to go into all the world with the message of the Gospel. To proclaim the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as people believe, They are engrafted into the body of Christ, the true temple of God. The Apostle Peter tells us that believers are like living stones. And we are being built up into the true temple of God. The true dwelling place of God. Once foreshadowed in the physical temple in Jerusalem, but now truly manifested in the body of Christ, gathered to worship Him. We too have been tasked with building God's temple in our generation. So how will this temple be built? How will the church be prospered? How will lost souls be brought into the kingdom, baptized and joined together with other living stones? By nothing else but the word of God. It must be preached. It must be taught. It must be studied. This is how God prospers His kingdom, not through gimmicks or through entertainment, not through wisdom or eloquence, not through force of arms. Rather, the kingdom of God goes forth in power as His Word is proclaimed in power. As the Gospel is shared, we leave aside all earthly power and we trust the Word of God to do the work of prospering His kingdom. When we can honestly say, I did nothing and the word did everything. Now, we skipped over a large portion of Ezra five and six, not because these are unimportant verses, but rather for the sake of time. And so I'm going to summarize what happens there, and I would encourage you to go back and read this section of God's Word. Now, as the people of God obey the Word of God and begin to rebuild the temple, again they face opposition. And this time the opposition comes from the regional governors. Right. They are a part of an empire under the authority of this Persian emperor. And the emperor has given governors to different regions. And the region that Israel is in is in, in the region beyond the river, as the text says. And these governors see that the Jews begin rebuilding the temple and they start taking names and asking questions. Right. The feds have showed up. What are you doing here? Finally, they send word to the emperor Darius about what is going on in hopes that Darius will give them authority to shut down the operation. And yet they do not receive the response they anticipated. Darius makes a search to see if the Jews had truly been given permission to rebuild the temple by his predecessor Cyrus. And lo and behold, they find the decree. Yes, Cyrus had authorized the rebuilding of the temple. And furthermore, he had promised financial aid to rebuild the temple. When the local governor receives word back, it is not what he expected. Darius says in as many words, not only do I want you to allow them to rebuild the temple, but I want you to pay for it as well. He ends his letter in verse 12 of chapter 6. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. What a turn of events. When it looked as though the ruling powers would oppose the work of God, the Lord, by His providence, caused their opposition to actually prosper His purposes. And if we would see the prospering of the Lord's work in our day, we must trust His good providence even as the Jews did. For we read that while the investigation was taking place, they did not put off their work, but they continued to do it. We read in verse 5 of chapter 5, but the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop. They didn't stop building until the report should reach Darius and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. It would have been easy to again say, okay, there's opposition, let us step back. But they trusted in the providence of the Lord and they continued the work. Now providence means that God plans, controls, and executes His will in all times and in all places. He is in control always. There is never anything that comes to pass that catches our God by surprise. He does all that he pleases in heaven and on earth and the sea and all the coastlands. It is not merely that God is powerful enough to take a bad situation and to bring about good. Rather, his providence means that God ordains whatsoever comes to pass in such a way that his ultimate purposes will be accomplished. When the brothers of Joseph sold him into slavery in Egypt, they were acting with evil purposes. But we read in Genesis 50, Joseph's words of faith explaining God's providence. He says to his brothers, you meant evil against me. That was your intention. Your heart was evil. But God meant it. Didn't just fix it but God meant that I would be sold into slavery for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, the regional governor wrote Darius with evil intent in his heart. He did not want this temple to be rebuilt. But God ordained this opposition so that he might prosper the work of rebuilding His temple. Darius, his search not only came about that it should happen, but also that they had to finance it. Could you imagine, as we're going out into our neighborhood and we go to the park, and there's local opposition that says, hey, you Christians can't go there and proclaim the message of salvation. You can't go and start up a basketball program. You can't play pickleball in the park to form gospel relationships. We're going to go to the governor and shut you down. The governor looks into it and says, oh, no, they can do that. And by the way, this is a good faith based initiative. Let's give them some money towards it. Could you imagine that is what happened in this situation? And if we would see the prospering of God's kingdom in our day, we too have to trust in the providence of God. We must trust that whatever evil is brought against us and our work to spread the gospel will ultimately be turned towards our good and towards the expansion of the kingdom. We must trust that opposition will turn into opportunity. That persecution will only strengthen our resolve and our call to spread the gospel. And if our blood must be spilled in the advancement of the gospel, so be it, because our blood will prove to be the very seed that flowers in the triumph of God's purposes. Christian, the Lord has called us to build His temple in our generation To see more and more saved from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. How is this going to happen when there is so much opposition? When we obey His Word and when we trust His providence to continue in the work even when our work is opposed by the world. For the powers of this world will conspire to see this kingdom work hindered But by the Lord's providence, it will only cause his work to prosper. Now, as chapter six comes to a close. We see that, in fact, the temple is completed and worship resumes according to the word of God. In particular, we read of the resumption of the Passover celebration Look at verse 21 there. It tells us of this Passover celebration that it was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. You see, there were Jews that were celebrating the Passover and then there were those who through God's grace had been joined to this body and they too were celebrating the Passover. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy for the Lord had made them joyful. How will the work of the kingdom be prospered? It will prosper when it is done for the glory of God. This is the ultimate reason that we seek to build the temple of God. Mind you, not a physical temple in Jerusalem, but the fulfillment of that temple, the body of Christ, the church. We are seeking to see the church prosper in our generation because our Lord is worthy of a prospering church. Our Lord is worthy of a bride that is pure and spotless, adorned and beautiful. Our Lord is worthy to receive glory and honor and power and praise. He is worthy of all of our worship. And this is why the Lord ordained that his people return from exile. This is why He ordained that they rebuild the temple. This is why He provided a way of cleansing through the sacrifice of the Passover Lamb. Not only for the Jews, but for all Jew and Gentile who would come to Him through the blood of the Lamb. That is why it's blood. A people would be separated for the purpose of glorifying Him. And this is why the Lord Jesus came to earth. This is why He died on the cross. This is the ultimate reason why He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And this is why He is reigning and directing all things for the glory of our great God. The salvation of man was not accomplished as a purpose in and of itself. Rather, Jesus gave His life to cleanse a people and by His blood to make them, as Peter writes, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. How will the work of the kingdom prosper in our generation when we realize that all that we do is aimed at this one purpose, the glory of our great God? Why do we gather on Sunday morning that we might worship our God Why do we learn his word in Sunday school and in small groups and in Bible studies that we might glorify our God with our lives? Why do we go out on mission? Why do we seek to see the lost come to faith in Christ? Why do we want this neighborhood to know full salvation? Why do we want our children, our family and our friends to be saved? So often our aim is off. And we put it on a penultimate purpose. Something that is good. We say we want them to be saved. We don't want them to die and go into eternal punishment. But the ultimate reason why we do all of these things is because our God is worthy of worship. And we want them to be cleansed that they might rightly worship our God because He is worthy of their worship. And when we make the glory of God our goal, We know that we will prosper, for it is God's ultimate aim to glorify his name as well. No one could have known that the Lord would bless the work of Martin Luther as he did. All the powers of the world were against him. But the Lord, by His word and by His providence and for His glory, used this man to spark the greatest revival in the history of the church. Even 500 years later, we are enjoying the blessing of God's work through the Reformation movement. Nevertheless, we cannot be caught looking back in nostalgia of what God did in the past. We must look forward to what God is going to do in our generation. How He is calling us to obey His Word. How He is calling us to trust His providence. How He is asking and calling us to work for His glory. Can you see it, Christian? When your heart is enthralled with a love of God and zeal for the Gospel. Can you see it, Christian? When your home is filled with prayer and praise. Can you see it when hundreds are pressed into this sanctuary and we must go forth and spill out into the surrounding area because such revival has come to our community? Can you see it, Christian, when this Rivermont community is so saturated that every domain has a gospel witness? Can you see when revival comes to our nation, that as a nation we repent of our evil and we pursue the way of God? Can you see a Christian when the world is covered with a knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? This is going to happen. You might think that now is not the right time. There's too many troubles that distract from the work. The culture is changing. The government is hostile to our purposes. There's political and social issues that overshadow the work of the gospel. Christian, all of that opposition means that this is the perfect time for a powerful work of God. Because it is in such times that He shows forth His power. The time to rebuild the kingdom is now. And therefore, we must obey His Word. We must trust His providence. And we must do all things for His glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now in this time. We pray that you would teach us, O Lord, to obey your word in all things, to trust you. And that you would send us forth in mission because you are worthy. You are worthy of all praise. You are worthy to receive worship from men and women and children from every tongue, tribe, people and nation. That thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions might be pressing unto you. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.